Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws, well, they both look pretty badass and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at assaultlimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3EQUIP.com. A3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion, a lip balm, a hair conditioner, honestly, anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3equip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about get squared away spiritual get squared away emotional get squared away mental Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right. We are back with the next episode of Squared Away. We're here with Jimmy Smith. Going to talk some nutrition, some fitness. Going to talk supplements. We're going to get deep. Jimmy's going to give us his life story. <laughs> why don't we yeah, start well, with uh, Why don't you just introduce yourself, Jimmy? Let's start there. Well, thank you guys for having me. First and foremost, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. Um, long story, very short. Played college basketball. And uh, freshman year, I tore my ankle. I came down on someone else's foot in practice. And that kind of put me on this path. It's, you know, we had these, these inflection points in life. And that was like, you know, I'd always lifted kind of bodybuilding magazine stuff. But that got me deeper into it more in college. And I uh, changed up my lifestyle a little bit. I quit drinking alcohol then as a freshman in college, which is, you know, tough to do. Um, and then just really, really started focusing on how I trained my body. And when I got out of college, I wanted to work in the area of physical therapy and work in more movement-based aspects, you know, because I found movement to be really key because after all, I got hurt, you know, I had an injury. And then that kind of put me down the rabbit hole of nutrition and supplements and how else can I optimize what I do, Um because I got to the point where it's like, I was lifting five, six days a week, but what was that next level? And that became a prelude to the rest of my life. You know, like what Shakespeare says, what passes, what passes prologue. So it's like, what else can I do in life? And, and that allows me to become better. And that kind of shaped the person I am today. So about five, six years ago, I started an all natural supplement brand because um, I would take supplements in college 
that had like artificial sweeteners and stuff in them. And I didn't like how I felt, but then I would take in quotes, clean products. And I, I didn't find that they could give me an advantage. So I put my money where my mouth was, had some money saved up. And then I started my line of products. So here I am today. What's the, what's the supplement line called? And so tell the supplement us a few called of the physique formula and, okay. uh, Formulatediet.com is the website, and it's uh, artificial sweetener-free BCAs, pre-workout, grass-fed whey, things like that. And it's literally a story about I was making, I was putting stuff together in my kitchen for myself, and then I was like, let me just find a manufacturer and, and kind of start selling this, and, and that's how it started. Now, as far as grass-fed whey comes in, now I know, like with grass-fed beef specifically, the fat profile is a lot healthier because it's uh, the, the the balance of bad fats right. to good fats is better. As far as when when you're doing it in a, in a protein formula, what are the benefits to that? You just kind of said it, right? So we have just healthier cows overall, which means they're not giving not given antibiotics. They're not given a lot of the the corn and a lot of the other things to fatten them up. For production, it, it's literally everything that we talk about in terms of the benefits of grass-fed whey protein, healthier animals, animals fed grass, which is uh, more intuitive by nature to d- their digestive tract. So they have less inflammation. Um, then they end up producing more CLA, so conjugated linoleic acid, which, you know, the bodybuilding world has, has talked about for fat loss, but in reality has a lot of anti-inflammatory properties, um, a lot of brain properties as well. Research is starting to find cognition. And those uh, effects, essentially, they filter down to grass-fed whey as well. Like just what you get in a grass-fed burger, you would get that in your grass-fed whey. So it's overall healthier. And then the omega-3 content is going to be higher as well. So you mentioned CLA. Um, I've never actually looked into CLA, but somebody one time just messaged me like, well, why don't you just take some CLA during a cut, right? Like just yeah. – and what what is what does a CLA what does CLA do and how is it beneficial as far as during uh you know well while, while you're actually trying to lose weight? Yeah, CLA has and it does have some decent research on it. There is a there's a few different variants of CLA, um, and a specific version does have some fat loss benefits, but it's not. The problem is, and we'll keep coming back to this. In a lot of the research and data, they're not clinically significant results. There are results in data that show like CLA will enhance metabolic function. So CLA is not going to work like a caffeine or a green tea where it increases, increases thermogenesis, but it will work to uh, pull fat out of the cell to increase fat burning potential. But it doesn't really hold up to a, to a human being. You know, we can look at rodent studies and we can look at monkey studies. And, and there is some effect. There is some parallel between them and humans. But with CLA, like some other supplements, there is, doesn't necessarily seem to be that correlation between um, what we see in the data and, and, and human fat loss. But like I said earlier, now we're starting to see data how it may be beneficial for gut health, maybe be, may be beneficial for brain health. And uh, that tends to be the, the story in a lot of sports supplements where they get marketed a certain way. You know, glutamine was one of those. And, and cut me off if I'm rambling, but L-glutamine is an amino acid that for, for years we were like – Oh, the studies show it's really good for, for preserving muscle tissue. But that was done in, in cancer patients, God forbid, yeah. or in burn victims. And they were getting intravenous 40, 50 grams a day. So then the, the sports supplement world kind of washed our hands. Glutamine's worthless. But then data started coming out how glutamine can feed our gut lining. You know, we have a really thin layer of gut uh, that lines our intestinal tract. And with stress, with a poor lifestyle choices – with a variety of factors, 
that gut lining gets damaged. Well, now data shows that glutamine can help repair those, those tight junctions, those holes in your intestinal tract. So glutamine for the last 10 years now has had a resurgency. So it's just, it's just one of those things. It's just another example of what happens in the supplement world. So I actually, that's actually on my list of things to, to talk to you about is, is the digestive repair yeah. because um, just a little history of my knowledge on that. My wife, when she was pregnant, was eating eggs every day. Now, she clearly had some sort of a digestive issue with her gut lining and some of the albumin got through and she created an allergic response to eggs. And now still to this day, my daughter's nine and still to this day, she cannot eat eggs. What somebody that has an issue like that, that has um, some some gut lining issues, some digestive issues, what would you suggest for them as far as just like simple all around things that they could improve? Yeah. So that that's, again, going to be a reoccurring theme is. You can throw the kitchen at someone, but compliance is really the factor, right? Like, um, I'll come back to your question in a second, but like someone hires a trainer, they hire a nutritionist, and they get a complete plan, and they get inundated with information. Um, and it's like, instead of telling you to, to quit your, your coffee drink in the morning and do this and don't do that, like, maybe just try taking these three fish oil capsules for a week, and then maybe after that, like, like try walking. So, so to, to digress back to your question... For simplicity with our gut health, first we need to find the offenders. So I believe in food sensitivity testing. I love it, but there's also some holes in it. My personal story is is I didn't love avocados until like two years ago. And uh, I I ate maybe for like two months. I probably had two or three a week. I then got food sensitivity testing, and, and what did I have a high reactivity to? Avocados. So largely with food sensitivities, whatever you eat, your body will develop a sensitivity to yeah. Um, so it doesn't mean you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater in this example. But the first thing you can do is, is let's assess what we're actually putting into our body. And we all on this call, everybody listening, we try to eat well. We try. But then, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that night where I make homemade pizza and eat a bunch of snickerdoodle cookies. Like, that's going to happen. But what can we do now that what's offending us, right? Like, what, what doesn't make our body feel right? And we intuitively know. We don't need wearable technology to show us we don't need food sensitivity testing of course down the rabbit hole stool testing it's all good but first and foremost what are what are you eating what are you doing that lights you up a day later an hour later that kind of a practical awareness situational awareness matters in terms of nutrition and i know it's not a sexy answer but it's the most effective because then you could be like "Hmm, every time i eat a fatty food i have to go to bathroom 45 minutes later that lets you know now where we can look down the spectrum Oh, I had a Gosh. question. Um, I'm taking out glutamine right now, and so it doesn't have any benefits as far as uh, workout recovery. So it does. Yeah, it does, and it doesn't, Martin. So that, that's a really good question. We have to think of glutamine in two worlds. When you generally take L-glutamine, the amino acid, you should take it on an empty stomach because it will compete uh, in the gut with other amino acids. And that is a downside to L-glutamine because we want to throw it in with our creatine. I put it in my company's BCAs, and I'll get to that in a second. So if we're talking, if we're getting bloating digested, if we have acid reflux, um, even stuff as, as certain types of rashes that we know we have an intestinal or gut issue, you want L-glutamine on an empty stomach. You can you can take it with uh, marshmallow root or uh, licorice or uh, oil of oregano. You can take it with other gut-positive nutrients. But now in terms of muscle recovery, to address your question specifically, 
why do I put it in with my other amino acids when I just said it competes with the gut? Well, for muscle recovery, we're not necessarily concerned about gut rebuilding here. And there is some data that shows that glutamine, around two or three grams, can help keep the amino acid leucine in the muscle cell longer. So to pull this back to talk about protein metabolism, we get our spikes, right? We can have a chicken breast, a whey protein shake, a wild-caught salmon, whatever it is, a whole whole food protein source. After about two or three hours, our muscle protein synthesis, so the actual activity of building new muscle, that will decrease, right? We'll we'll hit an apex, and then it will drop. We know through data that taking branched-chain amino acids, about two and a half to three hours later, essentially right in between meals, can help prolong that that peak in muscle protein synthesis. Mm. So, but the problem is leucine is in and out of the cell really quick. And there is some data that shows L-glutamine can have a synergistic effect with amino acids to help elongate that peak, so to speak. So, so leucine will give you a peak in muscle protein synthesis. Then glutamine, according to data, will keep the leucine around muscle cells a little longer. So the, you get that 5% little benefit, right? You're checking off those yeah. other boxes. You're training consistently. You're, you're sleeping. You're recovering. You're eating a lot of protein. Well, well, now we're getting those additional benefits here. Wow. So time. Uh, sorry, uh, you mentioned oil of oregano. Yeah, I take that in the morning. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hear there's so many benefits to it. I mean, even externally. Dude, it's uh, so crazy. So there, there are some topical benefits of oil of oregano, but we can look at the big food industry, right? Like one of right. the the most wealthiest industries in the world, billions of dollars a year, right? Big pharma. We all like to talk junk about them. But do you know what big pharma uses to kill bacteria when it's breaking down and, and packing food? It uses garlic and oil of oregano. Oh, really? By the hundreds of thousands of pounds a year. And if that industry that has the, the funds to access anything in the world, any chemical that can kill bacteria, it uses oil of oregano and garlic. So when, when we ingest it, at least in terms for gut health, yeah. it, it does some work down there, some improvements. And is that good with um, taking a probiotic then? I mean, probiotics got to be its own question right there because yeah. what's good and yeah. what's not. So probiotics are probiotics are a level one defense. Um, they are, are something everybody should take. Now, an issue that I have, again, getting personal on this call, is the main probiotic is, is their lactobacillus strains. So essentially lactic acid strains. I don't have the gut health that, that processes that lactic acid properly or, or in a healthy way. Um, and again, you know, the Sioux experience. Um, so like I like kombucha, kombucha, which is yeah. a lactose, uh, lactobacillus based drink. Right. But if I take it too often, I get bloated. I get digested. I get acid, acid reflux. So I can't take lactobacillus. So I need to take some other, uh, mm. soil based strains of probiotic, but, but that, I'm an outlier here. So generally most people should take a probiotic in their diet. They, uh, you know, they can go pretty hard and heavy initially if they do have some stomach discomfort, if they have some bloating, indigestion, skin rashes, headaches. Uh, we know gut health is linked to, to so many things. Um, about 30% of our hormones are made in our gut. So when our gut's off, uh, specifically thyroid hormone and testosterone, to name two, are, are going to have some issues. Uh, but largely, yes, uh, probiotic. Get it in as many forms as possible. I prefer it in a supplement because it's going to be more condensed. But do not – and I'm a different person. Like I like kimchi and sauerkraut. Those are two probiotic-heavy foods. Really? So uh, I will eat uh, some sauerkraut every day. And like I said, I'll uh, I'll take it in a supplement and I'll have kombucha. But generally, you, you want to vary your 
exposure to different probiotics. Is there any actual probiotics in like regular sauerkraut? Not the raw stuff, but like the crappy stuff you buy at the store. There's can't be much for probiotics in that uh, stuff, right? Stuff. <laughs> There's not going to be much. No, I didn't um, think so. Like we can get we can get raw raw sauerkraut around us because we're you know big city. But yeah. a lot of people yeah. that are listening to this aren't necessarily in a place where they can run to the store and get raw sauerkraut. Yeah, I, I don't want to say the name on your podcast, but it's also the name of a, of a football stadium. Yeah. And uh, they produce sauerkraut that that I I'm willing to bet does not have a lot of, of actives in it. Yeah. Whereas if you get a nice raw organic one, you're talking business here. Have you ever oh. seen anybody break out acne wise from from probiotics? I, I have. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've consulted with people to go back to that initial thing I was saying earlier. Who like they're like, dude, I'm doing everything right. Like hard charging athletes. I worked with a guy in the NFL who recently retired who had a similar issue, and it's like let's scale back the probiotics because. What happens here is, is people are familiar with autoimmune disease. Yes. And there's a lot of data now, a lot of studies looking at and concluding that more people have a low kind of subtle level of autoimmune disease than, than people realize. And to go hand in hand there is, is, is a condition known as SIBO, so small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Bacteria is not supposed to be in our small intestine. All the processing of our nutrients, of the breaking down of our food – that's supposed to go in, in our large intestine. Yet through a variety of things, again, um, lifestyle choices, and, and the irony is that this is linked to both a high-carb and a low-carb diet, um, you get this bacterial overgrowth in your small intestine, and that leads to, to GERD, to acid reflux. And there is where you really see a lot of people with, like what I was alluding to earlier, a lactobacillus-based issue. Uh, yeah. Brent, so – Branch chains, you mentioned something about branch chains extending the protein synthesis. Um, so if somebody is, it wants to do a branch chain supplement now, like I drink my branch chains while I'm working out, but then yeah. I don't eat for an hour and a half later. Wh- what's sure. the, what's the in most intelligent branch chain timing and what's the difference between branch chains and essential amino acids sure. for, for people on the call or on the, that are listening yeah. to the podcast. Yeah, so branch chains are going to be three specific amino acids um, that they literally have a branch chain on them, uh, isoleucine, valine, and and leucine, whereas essential amino acids are are going to be the amino acids you get in in whole food food protein sources, say that third time. Um, And all of an essential amino acid powder is going to be just those amino acids broken down. Um, But branch chains have some distinct benefits in that they act directly in skeletal muscle tissue. And this is why we see them used in studies for cancer patients and people with muscle wasting diseases who can't necessarily put on weight. Whereas the branch chains, they, buy that, they bypass regular digestion. They go directly to skeletal muscle tissue and act there. So not comparing the two for people listening and not saying that the results parallel each other, but that's essentially how a lot of uh, SARMs work. So specific antigen modulators, how some anabolic steroids work. But anabolic steroids or SARMs, well, they'll make organ growth, and there's some other issues that we know occur with that. So BCAs act directly on skeletal muscle tissue. But to your point about why well, take them during my workout, you're saying in between meals, what's better? It's such a difficult question because I, too, drink branch chains while I train. Because while you're training, what are you doing? Whether you're doing a bodybuilding routine of just biceps and triceps or a full body routine, it doesn't matter. You're causing blood flow. Blood flow is going to working muscle tissue. And a muscle tissue that's being worked, it's like a sponge. It's more sensitive. It can take in more water. 
So by feeding branched-chain amino acids or other supplements such as uh, beta-alanine, betaine, creatine, you can go down the rabbit hole here, you're taking those nutrients and you're preferentially giving them to the muscles that are working. And there, there's some data there that could potentially lead to, to more muscle growth down the line. But what you'll notice during your training is that branch chains, when we break down muscle tissue, we're, gonna, we're either hormone-driven or we're nutrient-driven. And as you start to break down muscle tissue in a workout, what is what is muscle tissue? It's just amino acids. Yeah. So yeah. by having branch chains while you train, you should notice a longer ability to train, more endurance, more your rate of perceived exertion is going to be lower. Um, that means your ability to do more work for longer is enhanced because those branch chains that you're taking in are being used for energy. They're a readily available energy source while you train. Um, and then you look at data in, in runners and we see that runners who supplement with branch chains pre, pre-run, they can run a little longer. Sprinters can sprint a little more. Um, there's also a synergetic testosterone effect of branch chains while you train. Not that branch chains elevate testosterone. They don't. I'm not making that claim. But what they do is by ingesting branch chains prior to or during your workout, they have been shown to, to minimize stress-induced cortisol rises. So your workout, your workout raises cortisol. You're training. It's a stress hormone. So by, by mitigating that cortisol rise, cortisol is an antagonist to testosterone. We'll have a healthier testosterone profile while we train and post-training. So both. So both. So, so both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's the difficult thing, right? Because I take it while I train, um, but I also take it in between meals because I have access to it because I have a company. So if you if you put me against the wall and you're like, How, what was the best results for branch chains? Take one scoop while you train and one scoop being the, the research proven 2-1-1 ratio of leucine to isoleucine to valine. You know, companies will throw a 10-1-1, a 5-2-2. None of that's proven. A scoop while you train and then whatever, depending on the time of day you train, now if you train early in the morning, have another scoop between lunch and dinner. If you train late at night, have your first scoop between meal one and meal two. Like just work where you get that twice daily because the data is going to show you need about five grams of branch chains during the course of the day for the results. You know, we do see upwards of results at 10 grams, but then it kind of, there's a gap until you get to like 20 grams or 25 and then that becomes a financial issue. Awesome. And the topic of like scheduling supplements, what about um, as far as eating is concerned, uh, the big fad right now is uh, intermittent fasting. Yeah. um, What are your thoughts on that? Because they're saying, well, based on body types is how many hours you should be intermittent fasting. So like for me, there'll be like about 16 hours a day. And I'm like, I don't, I maybe hit 12 hours. That's about it. Yeah. I'm a 12-hour myself when I do fast, and that includes the, the six, seven, eight hours I sleep. I like fasting. I do. Um, there is a lot of good data on it specifically for – but, again, this goes back to what target population are we talking to. Um, if you're 40 or 50 pounds overweight and you're like, I'm going to fast, I don't think that's the best for you. I, I think a, a, a slow, steady nutrition approach of let's eat more fruits and vegetables and protein, I think that's the better approach. But – if we're talking specifically fast in a nutshell, we know that it can reduce triglyceride levels, which are fats that kind of free float around our body. We know it can reduce bad cholesterol while improving good cholesterol. Uh, we know it can have some potential testosterone benefits as well as blood sugar benefits. And the big one that everybody obviously talks about is that apoptosis. So our cells have a timed program where they can, can live and die. 
And we don't want rancid cells hanging around. And fasting is the singular best way to clear out that debris in our muscle tissue and muscle tissue in, in our cellular health. Um, but in terms of, was your question about timing of supplements with fasting? What specifically did you, you want to know there? Yeah, because I mean, I do a, a 12, 12 hours roughly like you do. I mean, I, yeah. I should be doing 16 is what they're saying, but I also take supplements within that period of time. Like most of the time, I take a yeah. lot of supplements in the morning when I wake up, and I'll take them before bed. Sure. Yeah, you don't really have to be overly concerned with supplement timing. You know, we just talked about it in terms of branch chains. Yeah. I personally will take like creatine before I train. Um, and if you're doing a gut rebuilding protocol, you want your glutamine earlier. But largely, if you're taking a multivitamin, if you're taking your curcumin, you know, we can get specifics if you want to throw out specific supplements. I, I can give you recommendations on that. But in terms of fasting, it's how do you feel when you fast? That's the biggest question because for me, I've successfully fasted and then I've gone to the gym at noon and I've just had coffee in my system and I've had great workouts. I go, oh, this is going good here. But then I get blood work done, and every single time I get blood work done when I fast, there's some hormonal problems. Could be a Jimmy thing. Could be an individual thing. Um, so I'm going to say there's a lot of I don't know going on there in terms of fasting with my body. But a lot of it is paying attention to, to what happens. So ideally for me, I'll fast twice a week now. I'll fast on Sundays when I don't train. And then Wednesday or Thursday, depending on my workload and, and how my workouts went to the prior days, that's really how you can make the decision about if you're going to ramp up your fast or not. How do you feel? How's your sleep? How's your libido? Um, are you? Some people say that they have a ton of energy and they can run better, but like, I wasn't running as fast or far when I was fasting. So, so there's a lot there. And I think I want to step into on this one. One of the big things with fasting, first of all, is your body uses a lot of its energy to digest the food that you're eating. So if you're always digesting food, it has less energy to do all the other processes that it needs to do. If you are fasting for 12 hours, 14 hours, 16 hours, that's a lot higher percentage of your day that your body has that extra energy to do a lot of the other things that it does. But it's not black and white. Like I, you know, you, you have people to ask, like, if I fast 10 hours, is it going to work better than 12? If I fast 14, is it going to work better than eight? Yes. But also, no, it might work minuscule better or it might work a lot better. And what are your goals? Are you trying to just be healthier or are you trying to build muscle? Are you trying to lose fat? There's so many different questions there that it's like it's not a black or white answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting, too, because most of the data on fasting will show the benefits will trail off after like 14 or 15 hours. Um, and then like it'll spike at like 36 hours. But. You guys might be stronger than me, but dude, I am not doing a 36-hour fast. I'm not doing a 24-hour fast. Oh, I've done 10-day fasts. Have you? You animal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you I mean, know, it's, and, and it's you, not, you don't do it regularly, though. You know? Right. I was, we right. talked, we talked about this with Byron Rogers, but Peter Atia talked about, yeah. um, the 10 day fast once a year, along with rapamycin and a few other like 
totally like prescription drugs. These are not things that you can just yeah. go buy online, but these are prescription yeah. drugs that are for other things, but they cause a lot of cell apoptosis. So he was yeah. speculating that a 10 day fast once a year, along with rapamycin and one other thing would actually increase your cell apoptosis to a point that any cells that are precancerous that are starting to replicate would actually kill themselves. And it would be a po- possibly a very positive cancer profile or uh, a protocol. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen Peter say that too. And, and there is some data on, on fasting with cancer patients and it's another modality. And you can read a ton of stories where people will say how good they felt with fasting. You know, the, excuse me, the most read article on my site is the title is why do I feel better when I don't eat? And it's just, it, it goes to the fasting thing where some people, this is an underlining issue that people have to go back to like small intestinal bacteria overgrowth and autoimmune conditions. We're like, when you're digesting, like you said, your body's always ramped up. Uh, we know through data that that hormones drop, uh, testosterone drops when you eat. I don't want to say hormones because we know insulin is, is based on essentially what you eat in blood sugar uh, and cortisol as well. But, you know, it goes back to branched-chain amino acids where people are like, oh, do you really need them? It's like if you have gut issues that you can't figure out or that you just don't like to eat a lot, well, those branched chains are going to bypass your gut. They're going to act on muscle tissue. You can get some recovery and muscle growth uh, in face, in light of your digestive issues going on. And, and, and fasting, the biggest benefit that most people don't even realize they're getting is that they're just not eating in a way, if that makes sense. So, and, so that, that was what I was going to say before. You were getting – you were kind of alluding around it. And I was like, one of the things is, is like, what are – are you eating shit? Because if you're yeah. eating shit and then you're not eating shit, clearly you're going to feel better. Yeah. Like yeah, that, yeah. that doesn't – that's not that hard to figure out. No, and a lot of people will, and this is kind of the last thing I'll say on uh, fasting if you guys want to take it elsewhere, is that they'll do their 12 or 16-hour fast, and then they'll go have a bunch of burgers and onion rings. And it's like, listen, when I'm hungry, I'm an animal too. I get hangry. But I also am not – I don't want to uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater to, to go back to that phrase that I just said. Like, I just fasted for 16 hours, but that's strawberry milkshakes calling my name. Uh, last thing I'm fasting and then we can move on. Um, I know if anybody out there has any family members or friends that are going through cancer treatment, fasting the day before treatment seems to have a ton of health, not health, but, uh, feeling benefits the way that the people feel the day after, um, their cancer treatment. So like that usually you get the cancer treatment, um, yeah. And then the day after feel awful, we're puking and people, and it seems like, you know, this is all N of one stuff, but it seems like people that are fasting the day before treatment are actually feeling moderately normal or close to normal after their treatments, which is pretty well unheard of for most people. Yeah, yeah. Some of the speculation there is, is again, going back to inflammation, is how fasting prior to chemotherapy or treatment, it's, it just keeps the body in a more homeostatic inflammatory environment yeah um so two things i want that are going to kind of lead into each other um a lot of people have metabolic disorder from growing up overweight overweight families just poor um metabolism issues right your your ghrelin is off you eat way too much your insulin is five times that of a normal human being when you eat a little bit of sugar um what, in your opinion, is the best way um, that people can start to heal that and start to repair that and get their body back to a, to a normal homeostasis? Um, and is there anything 
that can help the people that their their metabolism really down regulates when they're yeah. not eating enough right because that's what people go on diets they don't eat enough calories all of a sudden they don't notice it because they're not that self-aware but all of a sudden their steps on their watch go from 10 12 15,000 steps a day to 4,000 steps a day and they don't think anything of it but really yeah. their meta- their metabolism has completely down regulated their energy levels yeah yeah so, so to address your first question first it's a process, right? So if we, if we grow up in a household, if we seemingly look at a food and gain weight, you know, there, there's some issues there. And I'm going to be the one that says get more data. I'm going to be the one that says get your genetics done. Um, because, for example, with me, got my genetics done through 23andMe, went to Rhonda Patrick's site, put the raw data in, and it spits out the fact that saturated fat, which we're generally told, well, it's not the healthiest. It's also not the worst for us. Saturated fat responds, causes an insulin response in me greater than carbohydrates. Because I have that genetic variant. Yeah. So, like, here I am, like, doing keto, and, like, maybe I should be eating more brown rice. Yeah. Um, So so get more data, first and foremost, and and if you can afford that. But if you can't, it's just about consistency. And and I know that you're essentially starting behind the eight ball, and it's like – this knucklehead's telling me to be consistent, but you have to find whatever healthy looks like for you. Because you can go online, you can listen to people, and they can be like, no card, pale you, this, all that stuff. But like, if you can't do it day to day, it's it's worthless. So like, maybe you feel better by just cutting out your morning coffee, but you're still eating the same. And as you walk, or as you lift, or as you go to the track, you're starting to see results. Now, what else can we peel away? You know, um, to, to talk about relationships for a second, you know, there's, do you want the lightning in the bottle with somebody like, oh man, this is amazing. Or do you want to peel the layers and get to know them? So it's the same thing with your metabolism is we have to peel layers here and we get data, find out historically what goes on. A lot of people, listen, I, I think genetic links to obesity are real, but I also do think that there's some people who are like, my uncle had a bad thyroid and his uncle had a bad thyroid. And they just, they just accept the status quo, yeah. you know? So I do think some of that is like, let me just test this hypothesis a little bit and see what happens there too. But a lot of it is peeling back the layers, is not jumping from diet to diet. Like a lot of people that fast also do keto. And it's like, that's not the healthiest either. But to address your second question, which, so we have a down-regular metabolism, right? And, and we see this all the time in, in physique competitors and people that step on stage and even elite CrossFit athletes just don't eat enough. Uh, adaptive thermogenesis. Your body, that's the technical term, your body is going to process a bunch of calories. So all a calorie is a, is a measure of energy. Yep. All it takes is, is what, how much does one gram heat up, right? Um, one degree Celsius. So as we eat less and essentially do more, because I don't know anybody that doesn't eat and sits on the couch. Like, you know what I mean? I know people that like, oh, I got to get those abs. So like, they're not going to eat and they're going to work out a bunch. Your, metab- your body doesn't have that fuel coming in. So to go back to an earlier point I said, we're either calorically based or hormonally based. We can survive a little bit off our hormones. That's why we can fast and go have a good lifting session because we're relying on stored glucose. We're relying on cortisol to be a stress hormone and get us through the workout because cortisol is low-grade adrenaline. So now we find ourselves we hit a wall. We can't sleep. We have poor libido. We just feel dragged and we don't want to train. Those are all signs of of metabolic issues. 
So what we have to do is we have to slowly climb the ladder back up. I know intuitively we're like, oh man, I have all these issues. It must be metabolic damage, which is another term you'll hear. I'm just gonna eat a bunch of cheeseburgers. And the answer is no. So you have to find the foods that feel better for you. And that that's literally, I hate to make a cop-out answer, but it's like, what can you continually eat? Irrespective of if it's a, a fat, a carb, or a protein source. And what can you just eat that fuels you, that just makes you feel better? And then you go from there. And then you, you have to track. I, I'm not telling you to write down every single thing you eat, but intuitively, like, have an idea of how much you're consuming. Carb timing. Carb timing. Uh, what'd you say? I'm just, you cut out. Carb timing. Carb timing. Yeah, so you can time your carbs, right? You can carb cycle. You can do a lot of these different things that are out there um, based on your training, right? Train the legs today, train the full body, whatever it is, eat more food. But the reality is you have to, to fuel the machine. And the easiest way to do that, the simplest way, is just eat more protein. Oh, I was, asking, know, most- I was asking you to explain to me carb timing. Oh, oh no, I'm when sorry. When should I, I be eating my carbohydrates? When should you be in your carbohydrates? Yeah. Well, if you want to play it safe, dude, eat them before and after you train. So I train um, at like 5 a.m. Okay. Then eat more after and okay. eat them before bed. Okay. And eat them before bed. Like that's the secret time that most people don't talk about is like, because we have this intuitive thing, bro, where it's like, shouldn't have carbs after a certain time. And then if we're fasting, we don't want to eat after a certain time. But carbohydrates, when they raise blood sugar, they also supply the raw materials for our brain to make serotonin and dopamine, good feeling brain neurotransmitters that allow us to shut our brain off and get to sleep. And that rise in blood glucose at night, that's going to depress us a little bit too, in, in a good way, not like depression way, but like depress our, our energy levels. So when we're on the couch and hopefully not doom scrolling on social media, we're relaxing because we had those carbs. So for you specifically, Paul, have a boatload after you train, like, you know, we really, and I don't think research has fully grasped how critical that period of time is post-workout. Like we know post-workout nutrition, but man, enzyme processes change in our body. Our ability to handle carbohydrates is, is greatly enhanced versus any other time of the day. And now no, keep in mind that if you train on a Monday, your ability to handle carbohydrates will be better till about that same time Wednesday. But yeah, pour them in after your workout. Good so quality full sources. Load, full load. What are we talking? I'm 200 pounds. I'm 200 pounds. Uh, I train hard. What are we talking? Bull. Am I eating 100 grams of carbs after a workout? What, what do you want to do? What's the goal? Are you trying to get brolic? Or so, so, get- yeah, so the, the, that, this is down here on my list, right? Leaning versus building, right? Like it, it, you have to we're, – we're talking about a goal here. Um, but I, I would like to stay my similar body size – um, as far as fat percentage, but put on muscle and get still get stronger. Cause I do do a, a I do a power lifting. I call it, I call it athletic power lifting, right? Yeah. So it's, it's heavy, but it's also lightening up at the end of each lift and then putting in some reps. Yeah. I, as a blanket recommendation, I always say 50 grams of carbs post-workout. All right. You couldn't, you could use more, you could use less, but we have to get an essential baseline of what you're taking in. And like, 50 grams of carbs, that's a cup of rice. Like, that's a good amount of carbohydrates. Yeah. And most people, like, the issue that I find that most people have with carbohydrates is they never have a general idea of how much they're consuming. So if you say to someone, like, you got to track your macros today, and you got to hit 100 grams of carbs, and that includes the carbs in your peanut butter, 
and the carbs in your protein shake. They're like, man, I'm starving. I ate all of them by 11 a.m. What is going on here? Because it's not really a lot, you yeah. know, uh, in the grand scheme of things. So I would absolutely, as a blanket recommendation, 50 grams of carbs post-workout. And then after a week or two, you're going to be like, hmm, I think I can do like 65. Or I think I can do 70. Like, let me go from there, you know? And then, if you, but, but how do you make that determinant? You determine that by how's your recovery? How's your strength gains? How do you feel during the course of the day? Like maybe you become a sloth after you have that. So then there's some other metabolic things. And, We're a little and you bit should too have much. Less yeah. 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 Protein, pound per body weight. Sorry, go ahead, Martin. Yeah, yeah. So protein, so I'll address the protein question because that's a big one. If you look up the current recommendation of how much protein anybody should eat, it's uh, 0.8 grams per kilogram per pound of body weight. And that's a pretty, pretty shitty recommendation. And that's a recommendation that allows us to survive. It allows us to grow. And when we're in our puberty, puberty ages, it allows us to move around as a person, have our hair, skin, our nails regrow. But I want to thrive. I don't want to survive. So then the conversation becomes, most people just don't eat enough protein. So if you said to anybody listening, like, you want to find out how much protein you have to eat? Whatever you're weighing today, eat that amount tomorrow. Track it. Shakes, food, track it. And then you'll be like, oh, man, that was a lot of food. I don't eat enough protein. I need to eat more. Then we can get in the conversation with the sports nutrition data shows. That's about 1.2 grams to 1.8 grams per pound of body weight. Oh, you know, so damn. It's, yeah. yeah, it's more. It's a lot. Like, you need to eat a lot of protein. And a day like today where I've been busy, been running around, I didn't have as much protein. I can feel the difference. So it really becomes a process. And, and we know that you can take, let's just say, 2,000 calories from protein exclusively and 2,000 calories from a mixed diet, protein, carbs, and fat. You're going to be leaner and build more muscle in the protein alone category. So protein itself, it satiates us more. It is the macronutrient to build lean muscle tissue. It's the macronutrient for improved body composition. Um, and most people do not eat enough. You know, when I'm on my game, every two and a half hours, I'm eating a protein source. And my grocery bill is expensive. And it's chicken. I, what I try to do to get it in, right? So I'm, a, I'm about 220 pounds now. I, I like, I'm 6'6". Six, six, I could be heavier. But I really like that 215, 218-ish mark. So let's try to hit 220 grams of protein a day. I'm going 40 grams of organic chicken breast. I'm going about 30, 40 grams of ground turkey. I have to go two shakes a day that gets about 40 grams in each. Then I try to get some healthy fat in. So I'm going bison or grass-fed beef. And like, you know, spitballing right there, that's just 180. That's like right at the 220 mark. But that's a lot of food. But you got to do it too at the same time, right? Yeah. So that, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm 200 pounds. I'm six foot, but I'm thick, Trump thick, thick. Um, How do you spell that? When you just said thick, do you spell it with three C's or one K? (laughs) That is T three H's I C K K K. Oh, you go three H's. Oh yeah. Cause you're, you know, you're, you're, you're throwing a lot of in there with the tongue. Yeah. So, um, yeah. How much yeah, protein so I'm, can you I'm, take in a? Oh, sorry, go man. Ahead. Nope, you're how much good. protein can you take in a sitting? Because that's I'm trying to calculate. Because I mean, I'm six foot two thirty five. Yeah, and that's a lot of. I mean, I can't just chop all that down in one sitting. So nope. your body will actually use every single gram of protein you ingest, 
And I know that the, the conventional theory is like there's a tipping point to steal a Malcolm Gladwell quote where like all of a sudden that other protein is wasted or um, causes issues. It doesn't. So when we look at muscle tissue and, and how our body actually uses amino acids, those are two different things. So when we take in – so protein science shows that every time we ingest protein, if we want to build muscle, we have to hit a protein target of about 20 to 30 grams. I suspect that in guys like us and hard-changing people, it's probably 20 to 40 grams, and that's to kickstart muscle protein synthesis. So we have to get that every time we ingest protein or else we're not hitting that target. And that target is like – it's a train, man. Like, yeah, a train comes every time you eat, but you miss that one train. And then if you miss the next one, if you don't hit those targets. And at the end of the week, at the end of the year, you know, that adds up. But – to address your question specifically, you could take 100 grams of protein right now. Your body first will have to break down that protein and be like, okay, what do I need to repair tissue? Not muscle right now. What do I need to repair my hair, my skin, my nails? What do my organs need? Uh, what does the brain need? Because the brain relies on amino acids. Then whatever's left over, it'll be like, no, oh, give that to his biceps because he did a bunch of curls today. That's obviously not what we want. But your body will use all the protein you take in. It will use it for different functions. It's not like you're wasting that protein. The, the question of wasting or not is in relation to how much can I use to build muscle, and that's a different question. Oh, awesome. I can have a couple steaks at once. And, uh... Oh, dude, like, so I can't do that <laughs> because I'll get the fat sweats. Like, you know, <laughs> you, you know the fat gets me on that, and then I'll be like, you know, I'll be on my couch looking like Al Bundy. <laughs> Have you ever done any insulin um, tracking with any of the insulin no. meters to actually see the insulin levels raise? No, and, and, and I don't want to. Um, <laughs> intuitively, I have an idea, right, like of how, how I feel with my blood sugar, like what makes me high, what makes me low. And I know that there is, there is worth, there is money in tracking your blood sugar because – I think this was Peter Atia too, because he is, a, is an animal about this stuff where he ate a bunch of donuts. And, and sidebar, donuts aren't donuts anymore. They have Lucky Charms on them. They have Fruit Loops on them. I don't want that. I want a nice, like, donut with sprinkles or jelly or, you know. Um, but he did a bunch of those fancy donuts, and then he tracked his blood sugar an hour and two hours after. And, like, the spike kept going up, and then... You know, he is. He jumps on a bike and pedals away for 30 minutes and feels good. Um, but no, I haven't tracked anything because I find that when people track wearables, they get so dedicated to what the wearable tells them. You know, like I've run with people who are using a certain monitor that tracks their heart rate variability. And they'll be like, got to have a light run today. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you, you look good. You look fine. Or they'll do the run. And they'll be like, man, I should have just recovered today. And it's like. You just crushed the run, but they're focusing so much on the focusing so much on the wearables, and then like they're getting confused with the technology. Like the machine, I always say this, Paul and Martin. If you came to me today and you were like, "We can give you a brand new cybernetic arm, and this arm can do everything. You'll be strong with it. You'll be lifting cars, or we can have your right arm that you have like a torn labrum from jujitsu, and it's thirty eight year old arm." And no, I'm sticking with this one, dude. Because this, this arm has evolved through through centuries, through millennium, to like get the job done, and it'll figure it out. I'm confident in that. Recovery. Um, walk us through, I guess, us and the listeners through 
diet a little bit, a little bit supplement, but like what is the most intelligent recovery protocol? Recovery is such a, it's its own class now. Um, generally with the diet to, to hit some, some points here, uh, we want to have protein, we want to have carbs immediately. No, people, when people say immediate, they go crazy. Like, dude, if you want to talk to your boys or text someone for a half hour, like, do you? But within 45 minutes or so, have some protein and carbs. That starts the recovery process of itself. Um, overall, during the course of the day, supplements, you want to do the branch chain protocol we talked about. You want to take uh, omega-3 fish oil. You want to take a supplement like curcumin that may, that will impact inflammation. But the whole thing for recovery is you want to both can help blood flow with omega-3 fish oil to get to working tissues and also reduce inflammation. Uh, creatine helps. Vitamin C, very effective, um, even especially in a powder form. Um, and then at night, you know, a magnesium glycinate can help because there's a lot of different types of magnesiums. We can get into that. But magnesium glycinate is magnesium bonded with the amino acid glycine for better transport through the digestive tract. That acts on muscle tissue a little bit better. Um, you know, there's a few different supplement protocols you can use there for recovery. But then recovery at large involves your lifestyle, you know, and then like you're, you're going to be at work during the day. So, like, let's not just have a big post-workout meal and then forget to be nutritionally sound the rest of the day. Let's have our pre-made shakes. Let's have some food with protein in it. Um, if you're, like, going to train and go home, like, like well, your shower is going to be your best friend. I'd like to sit in a sauna because whether we have extreme cold or extreme hot, they both release their own – so cold, cold shock proteins, heat, heat shock proteins. And they do a variety of things in terms of – um, hormone function and the immune system function because remember training beats down our immune system so that's where like bcas vitamin c uh curcumin they all come into to, to impact that because if you're beating down your body and not enhancing your immune system you're, you're going to be sore you're not going to recover so i personally love a nice ice cold shower i take one in the morning and i've done that every day largely since uh, 2019 since january 1st 2019 i will take a contrast shower post training which is, I don't have a clock in my shower. I'm just a Neanderthal. I use my head. But like, a cold for 30 seconds, hot for 30 seconds, on and off. And like, when you come into the shower there, dude, you're like, mm, you just feel good. You feel the blood flow going. And then like, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but people got to stretch. People have to do mobility. Like, I don't like it either, but I feel like a million bucks when I spend five to 10 minutes a day addressing the big muscle groups. And largely for most people listening, if you just stretched your hamstrings and then it did a doorway stretch that we all know with our you know, hands in the doorway to stretch our pecs, those would address our two biggest issues that most people have. And that writing, brings blood flow. I'm, I'm writing that one down. Okay. <laughs> to to, to kind of highlight it in terms of recovery, how does stretching help? Yeah. All recovery is is the ability to bring nutrients and blood flow to the areas that were impacted by our training, which is why I suggested like a branch chain during training. Um, but the same thing, like, the heat therapies with a cold or a sauna that improves blood flow because you've just pumped, pumped a bunch of blood flow in wherever you've trained and now it's recessed back. So what you want to do is you want to keep that blood flow going around the body. And, uh, and then the biggest one I'd be remiss if I didn't say this is we got to talk about sleep. You know, if you're, and I'll keep it in a nutshell here cause I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of sleep. If you are doom scrolling at night, if you are staring at your phone, if you are working, if you are doing anything excitatory within an hour before going to bed, you are, are leaving some gains on the table. Sleep is the most anabolic thing we have. 
And I long for the days where I could play Call of Duty and go to sleep, but now I can't, primarily because I'm thinking about how I screwed up in multiplayer, but largely because I get too excited with it. And to optimize our sleep quality, what you want to do about an hour before bed is you want to have a relaxed environment. You want to pick up a good book, something to keep you going. Not like a a really good book, like not like a Jack Carr book because then you want to be up all night, but you know, you want to keep your room temperature to be about 65 to 68 degrees because hormonally that's going to be optimized. You want to cover every single bit of light in your room. I have blackout curtains. I'm a little extra. But, you know, make sure you cover the light on your, your um, clock. Cover the light on your television. Cover the light on your smoke detector. You want as cold and as dark a room as possible. And those two things alone have been shown in research and anecdotally. To increase recovery, and if you want an extra, extra tip, not to be too woo-woo here, but it's 2021, get some uh, rose hips and lavender essential oil and either buy a diffuser or just sprinkle it on your pillowcase, a drop or two. That has been shown in data to reduce cortisol activity in the brain. You'll sleep better. And it works like a million flipping bucks. If you do it tonight, you will sleep better. Come on. Come on. I, I kid you not. I would not come here and lie to your face, Paul. All right. Fair. My computer screen maybe, but... Well, you know what? In 2021, this is how we communicate. No one knows how to do it anymore. Come on. Right? Um, apple cider vinegar. I love it. It's, I it's mean, not like a thing. Benefits? Yeah. So apple cider vinegar, there there was some – there used to be an article online. Um, I forget the guy's name, so I'm blanking here. I'll give attribution if I remember his name. But he would talk about how – Apple cider vinegar and honey before bed allowed you to sleep deeper. I never really found any benefits there. But apple cider vinegar in terms of postprandial blood sugar reduction, which means you drink your apple cider vinegar either before or after. The research is split here. Before or after a high-carbohydrate meal. And it greatly reduces um, how our blood sugar spikes in relation to carbohydrates. You can find stuff for apple cider vinegar for detoxification purposes. And there are some trace benefits. But the biggest bang of buck is apple cider vinegar is uh, uh, post blood sugar, you know, and like that, that's just a, a tip right here. Like if you have apple cider vinegar or if you have a high carb din- dinner and just like go for like a 10 minute walk, you don't have to run a marathon like that shows really positive benefits for reducing uh, post prandial. So after a meal, blood sugar spike. So we tend to get to not go too deep in the weed. We tend to get two spikes of blood sugar after we have carbohydrates, we get the immediate 30 minute or so spike, but then we get the hour to hour and a half spike. And that's like where we're like, man, I just hit a brick wall. So apple cider vinegar, a common walk, a uh, berberine, which is a super exciting supplement. We can talk about if you guys want to that. They all seem to have benefits. Berberine, never even heard of it. And I'm usually pretty far high up on this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Berberine uh, is a plant extract as well. Uh, used to be marketed as golden seal. Um, but berberine, the exciting thing about it is blood glucose and anti-aging. So it has been shown in clinical studies, they've taken metformin, which is the, the prescription drug given to diabetics, and they've compared it to berberine, and berberine's matched it punch for punch in terms of its ability to handle blood sugar. Wow. So like that has some pretty exciting benefits in of itself. And, and we know that blood sugar, um, if our blood sugar is out of control – we're going to gain weight, but we're going to age faster as well. Berberine also has some anti-aging benefits in terms of just how, not only how our body handles carbohydrates, but for our gut health, where I referenced glutamine earlier. 
uh, how glutamine helps make our gut, gut lightning essentially tighter. Berberine helps to seal our gut as well. Uh, but it really has some big time benefits when you uh, take it with a meal with carbohydrates. It, it compares to metformin and the data is really exciting. Awesome. You know what kind of foods berberine comes from? What's that? You know what kind of foods berberine comes from? It doesn't come from foods. It comes you say from it was a food extract? Uh, a plant extract. Did plant I say food? Ex- oh, okay. You might have said plant. I might have listened. I might have heard food. No, I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, plant extract, yeah. Um, now, you also get into training and stuff too, not just nutrition, right? Yeah. So let's talk training protocols for size versus strength. Yeah. That's interesting because I tend to not differentiate that much. Really? So when we look at we look at absolute strength and we're talking closer. So if we look at strength on a spectrum, we have muscular endurance strength at the very end. And then we have pure raw power at one end. Right. And that's what we're talking our one RM or three RMs, things like that. So we have to have training according to our goals, obviously. Um, and if we're trying to, to max deadlift or we're trying to increase our bench, then we need to play, not always, but play in that three to five RM area. And then obviously periodically test our one RM or, or three RM, however we want to do it there. But along the spectrum of it, we see from strength and conditioning research that a lot of our progress is going to be made in that four to six rep range area because that's where we, we still can use some pretty heavy loads. Um, in terms of smaller muscle groups or biceps or triceps, if we're doing an isolation, four to six reps will allow us to use relatively heavy weight there too. But that's where we can increase the most potential for muscle growth. So whether it's power or hypertrophy, a bigger muscle can produce more force. And a bigger muscle in terms of muscle hypertrophy, that is more receptors for testosterone. We can store more nutrients there. Everything gets better with bigger muscles. You know, um, not even talking about how you guys go to the bar, but because everything is better with bigger muscles. So the difference in a protocol would essentially be how how much longer you're playing or you're training each specific workout in a smaller rep range versus a bigger rep range. And that's how I would adjust it. Elaborate on that. I don't think I follow. Yeah, so, so like for me, I am not training for a one RM. I will once every six or eight weeks test my three RM deadlift. But largely, I'll go into the gym, and my first movement, whatever, however I'm training, whether it's a body part split or whatever, it will be with a three to five, 75 to 80% based lift, right? I'm not going to burn myself out. So what's that going to be? That's going to be a deadlift. It might be a weighted chin-up, um, a close grip bench, a back squat. It's going to be one of those movements. Then I'm going to go along the strength spectrum. Then I'm going to go to like a 6-8 rep range. Still using relatively heavy weight. Now we're at like 70 to 60%. And I don't want you guys to get caught up in calculating percentages. You don't have to do that. This isn't old school West Side Barbell. But um, it'll be six to eight rep ranges. And it's still going to be a, a big mover, right? So like if I'm training back, I've done my deadlifts. And now that six to eight rep range might be a, a high pull from the hang. Or it might be a heavy bent over barbell row. You know, we all remember those black and white pictures of Dorian Yates. Um then I'm going to go like eight to 10 reps. And what am I going to accomplish in that eight to 10 rep range? Well, obviously I'm going to have to use less weight, but now I'm going to improve muscle conditioning. Um, and if we're using the back analogy, maybe that will be pull downs or it's bent over dumbbell row. And then I'll go 12 to 15 and then I'll kind of see how my workout plays out from there. But the biggest issue that people miss with power, and this is an aha moment, I hope for the interview, 
is they don't have enough endurance. They're not as aerobically fit as they need to be for power. You, you raise your hand. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, lung wise, I'm great. I'm fine. You can put me on a treadmill, put me on a stairs, running outside. Lung wise, I'm fine. But yeah. the actual ability to get that oxygen into the muscles to do high rep stuff when I need to, that's where I notice that I lack. Yeah. So that's a result of, of your ability or inability to handle lactic acid. So we know lactic acid is a fatigue substrate. And there's other smaller ones, but we lump them all with lactic acid. So the best example is, is CrossFit, right? So you look, and connect, look at something from the CrossFit games where uh, they're doing muscle-ups and then they have to do a sprint. Well, if they go super hard in the muscle-up, which is largely an upper body exercise, why do good runners fatigue on the sprint? Because they can't clear that lactic acid. So as they're doing a muscle-up or a chin-up, their upper body is fatiguing. But they, when your body fatigues, lactic shuttle, lactate shuttle is an exercise physiology term, which essentially means that that lactic acid is going to go anywhere. So if you, let's say you just train, like you're just doing grip work, right? It's just your forearms. But if you're pounding away for an extended period of time, it's going to go into your shoulders. It's going to go into your biceps. Lactate will shuttle around your body because it needs to clear itself. It's largely going to be attracted to the biggest area on your body. What's the biggest area of muscle? Your lower body, your legs. So how does this equate to a guy who is trying to do more reps of a shoulder press but fatigues? He can't clear that lactic acid from his shoulders to his legs efficiently. And then we go down a line where it's like, all right, now he wants to sprint. Well, his legs don't have that ability to handle that lactic acid. But the easiest way here is like, you know, you're training, you're doing a barbell shoulder press. Have a PVC pipe with you. Or have a pair of five-pound dumbbells. I kid you not. Like instead of, of looking at your phone or tracking your, your rests with a minute or a minute and a half or 60 seconds, whatever you use, 60 seconds is a minute. Caught that. So 30 <laughs> seconds. Like you do those reps with a five-pound dumbbell or the PVC pipe. It's not going to greatly impede your next set. But what you just did there is you taught everything involved with the shoulder press, right? You taught your deltoids, your traps, your triceps. You taught that how to do more reps, but also buffer that lactic acid. So now how does that, how could that ever equate to a one RM squat? Because even in a one RM squat, you have to perform at a stable heart rate. You're, if you can't stabilize your heart rate at a given rate, your ability to, to perform that movement is going to be impeded. So, you know, today I was at the track and I ran two miles and then I had a bunch of hundred yard dashes. Those are two different requirements on my body. Both my legs with different requirements on my heart rate. Your ability to perform is directly linked to your ability to perform at a higher heart rate, but a higher heart rate for longer. And I kind of learned this the hard way because the pandemic happened and, you know, the lockdowns, I know we're still in the pandemic, but um, when the lockdowns happened, I, I didn't train jujitsu for a year, but I ran a lot. I ran four or five times a week. I go back to jujitsu, the very first role I had, the very first combat I had. And like, I'm not out of breath as much. So after a few days, I realized like, it's because I ran. It's because my ability to handle another human being on top of me trying to choke me, my heart rate was able to stay at a higher rate, but lower. I was able to maintain that. And that's what matters, you know, take, uh, take somebody doing a, a PT physical test. And if you're like, God, oh, bro, I haven't ran in a year. Them dudes are going to be huffing and puffing on the track because they don't have that ability. So does that kind of address your question or did I go off on yeah, one of the yeah, many yeah, tangents no, no, I went no, on? No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it, it, 
training the higher rep ranges and doing the, the, the really light stuff in between is going to train the body to actually do more reps, even though you're not doing reps with, with heavy weight, you're just doing reps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys, you guys try that, like try that in your training, get a PVC pipe or get something super light and do 10, 12 reps of a shoulder press and then pick that PVC pipe up for your rest. You're going to be like, after a week or two, you're going to notice a little better endurance there, upper body. So a little bit off, you know, kind of spread it around a little bit. What? Uh, give me your best purchase under three hundred dollars in the last year. You use the most. That is, that's the toughest question you asked. <laughs> best purchase under three hundred dollars. Yep. In the past year, I'm going to take books out of it because I can easily go to books because like they give me knowledge. Okay, that's my next, my next, my next question. Okay. So okay. Best purchase under $300, if it's not food, easily a bunch of Shohei Otani rookie cards. So um, I love Shohei. Like, I, I, I am such a fanboy. He pitched last night, and I was, like, watching it on my phone. But I am not uh, – uh, I was a baseball card collector early on. I got back into it during the pandemic. But I'm just like, if there's any value in that industry, here's a tip. It's with r- base rookie cards that you eventually get graded. And they come out as a nine or a 10 if you're going to flip them or that you just hold on for a while while they're mass produced. Like I swear to God, my mother in 1951 had a Mickey Mantle 52, had a 52 Mickey Mantle rookie on her bike that they used to put on their bicycles to make them sound like motorcycles. And I'm like, do you just know what you did with $5 million? But uh, yeah, base rookie card, keep it good condition, get it graded, hold on to it for 10, 12 years. Like, dude, all the Colby and LeBron stuff I have. Through the roof. You and everybody else started with the with the cards again during COVID. Like, holy crap! <laughs> I I didn't even know it was a thing. I was at an account one day, and this guy starts telling me about about all of his wax, all of his wax that he's yeah. been buying, and he sits and he waits for them to fill it up in the morning, and then yeah. he buys, and he's like, "Doesn't matter if I if I don't open it, I double my money. If I open it, I find something good." He's like, "I sold right, this, though. I sold this." I'm like, "Holy shit!" Okay, anyways, and then I said something to somebody else, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you didn't know." Like me and this guy and this guy are all, I'm like, holy shit, I'm so detached from this. Dude, I just, I, I got mad at myself because like back when I didn't have any money, like when I was in college, I wish, I, I bought a few LeBron rookies, said so go on eBay and buy them individually. But I'm like, dummy, if I had bought boxes of LeBron rookies, like what, like, so for example, Shohei was a rookie in 2018. The Topps base set, you used to get it for 40 bucks. It's 350 now. Yeah. Because it had a Cooney Jr. and Otani in it and Pete Alonso. And it's like, now I look at like Fernando Tatis Jr. Same thing. I digress so I can go on forever. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's your favorite book you read lately? It, it, in what, and what was the time frame? Lately. Lately. I don't know. Lately. Lately. Dude, I read a book, I, I read a, book a week. So Lately. Um, six months. Favorite in six lately. months. Mm, favorite in six months. Um, there's a lot. There's a, uh, you know, I reread Marcus Release's Meditations. Love that. Um, just reread Jaws, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and, but the book is so different. Really? Um, similar to The Godfather, how The Godfather is different. Love that book. Um, in the last six months, though, I'm trying to look at my bookshelf right now. Oh, I went down a rabbit hole of Benghazi. So I reread 13 Hours. And then um, Fred Burton, who was a CIA case officer, had wrote another book about Benghazi from the diplomatic security perspective, which were the guys that were supposed to protect the ambassador. And they get those guys get kind of dumped over in the movie. But diplomatic security is uh, once you learn more about it is, is a real thing. Um, so that was a good read. And then you and I talked about our, our love for Jack Carr books. So yep. 
um, always, always good stuff there. Awesome. Do you give books to people? Do you I, like buy I do. books and give, what's I your do. favorite book to give away? Uh, my favorite book to give is, uh, the success principles by Jack Canfield and people know Jack Canfield as chicken soup for the soul kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, this goes back to like 2004, 2005. He wrote like a 30, 40 chapter book all about success principles. And it was think and grow rich from Napoleon Hill. It was essentially a think and grow rich for modern times. Gotcha. That was the first time that the name Tim Ferriss had been mentioned in the book because they lived across the street from each other. Um, and it's just like, I, I, I go back to that book all the time. And it was one of three books I reread every year. So it's my most gifted book. I reread The Alchemist every year. Yep. I reread Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I reread Success Principles. Um, these are all highlighted because I'm a highlighter. Um, and I routinely reference Marcus Aurelius' Meditations and uh, Miyamoto Masashi's Book of Five Rings. But those are the three I reread every year. Awesome. So to wrap up and give the, the average listener, let's give five bullet points from this whole conversation, assuming that they know that working out is good and they know that not eating fried chicken and donuts every day is good. Let's skip, yeah. skip the, the, the surface level stuff. Let's give five bullet points to improve their life. I'm going to give you six because the six one's important. I'll save the best for last. Okay? Let's do it. Number one, focus on your sleep. We've talked about it. Sleep's important. It's the most anabolic thing you can do. Get some sleep. Number two, whatever you're currently doing with your protein, whatever it is, just double it. Just start there. Um, number three, be consistent. I don't care if you're trying to get swole. I don't care if you're running. I don't care if you're – whatever you're doing, just be consistent because consistency is like you're just, you're just putting more bricks, putting more bricks in the foundation. Be consistent. Um, number four is you really do have to start thinking about inflammation, not to go down the rabbit hole here, but inflammation in terms of carbohydrates that we put into our body. But supplementation, best place to start there is uh, omega-3 fish oils and creatine. We think of creatine as a muscle building supplement, but has a lot of anti-inflammatory and neuro benefits as well. Um, and number five is you have to pay attention to your body, whether it's gut health, whether it's you can't put on muscle tissue. Because if you can't put on muscle tissue, it's like, maybe I ain't sleeping. You got to go there. And, and number six is like, just love America. Because like, this is this is an amazing country. Just, just, you know, Top Gun's a great movie, my favorite movie of all time. So just like, love America. I'll leave it there. Yeah, most people don't, uh, not most people, a lot, our listeners understand, but a majority of our population has no idea how amazing we have it. How absolutely, you know? astonishingly amazing we have it here. Yeah, you know, I am... Um, when I'm going for a run at 9 a.m. on a Wednesday and it's 9 degrees, and I think about both my grandfathers. You know, both my grandfathers were World War II veterans, and, and one was a B-17 gunner, and uh, he came back with a bullet hole, um, a bullet wound in his back that never took the bullet out, a few centimeters from his spine. And my other grandfather was uh, was surrounded by Nazis one day uh, on Valentine's Day, nonetheless, in 1944 or 1943. I forget the date. And he always told me stories about sleeping in foxholes for years, in their years like fighting real Nazis and like here I am running for three miles. That's an easy day. That's an easier than easy day for those guys. And they just uh, didn't give a bleep and they got after it. And uh, my grandfather was a B-17 gunner, had, had the flying Oak, you know, had uh, flew 15 combat flights. They called his unit, the Reich wreckers because they put that much damage on the third Reich, you know, and it's, it's stuff like that. That's just like, I have it easy. Awesome. Martin, you got anything else? 
No, I'm really curious. Uh, you know, this is a side note on creatine. Is yeah. it a good creatine? I mean, I got creatine glycerol, the CPP. Yeah. I don't know if that's good, but what's your take on that? Because I know a lot the, of the guys and even kids ask about creatine. Well, creatine is the, the single most researched sports supplement we have. Yep. Um, but creatine monohydrate's the winner. It's the only one with yep. the data behind it. Um, it's the only one for efficacy. And now we see it in terms of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, the cognitive decline. And we see it for gut health. It's not just to get jacked. Um, but we know it helps that. We know it helps strength. We know it helps endurance. Creatine is one of the supplements that, that more people should be taking. I, I beg my parents who were in their early 70s to take it. And that's a losing battle. Three to three to five grams, right? Three to five grams a day? Yeah, so, about so right. the data is around three to five grams. You don't necessarily have to load it. There does seem to be some benefits for cognitive function and reducing cognitive decline by going a little higher, like 10 to 12 grams. So luckily, creatine is very inexpensive these days. And especially if you just go with a creatine monohydrate plain powder, throw it in with PCAs yeah, or whatever giant else. thing for like nine ninety nine. It's right, crazy. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Boy. And, uh, geez. Okay, I have to remember that. All right. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Awesome. We're going to wrap this up. 